This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning. It is the 11th of April. I'm Tabitha McIntosh in the special edition Easter breakfast slot. And today I'm talking to three people foolish enough to indulge a woman who hadn't planned her show properly. Stuart Manickle, George Napthin and Jasmine Lane. First more dramatic intro music. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hi again, Tabitha in the breakfast slot. Um, Stuart McNichol is going to be calling in shortly. He's talking about the early career framework and his experience of using it and implementing it as a mentor for the first time. Then George Napthian is going to be doing Story Corner with us and discussing all things book. And finally, Jasmine's going to come on to update us all on her experience of teaching in London, as well as sharing some rather pointed ranting about what's going on in schools in the United States at the moment, which, if you've been following it, is truly terrifying. Um, first, I'm going to play the news, and then Stuart, I see you're online. Well done. I'll share a link, and uh, I'll invite you to call in right after we found out what's happening in the exciting world of education this weekend. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, Follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. 
this very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out! Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. With many schools across England and Wales now on holiday for Easter, or with a break imminent, The Guardian is reporting that many GCSE and A-level students are being advised to begin revising in earnest. Experienced teachers and education experts alike are making the recommendations so students avoid exam stress. Across the UK, close to 2 million teenagers will be preparing for exams with students in England and Wales and Northern Ireland, sitting their first papers on May 16th. Many teachers already know that the secret to reducing stress is good preparation, and that a little bit of stress during the break might well avoid super stress in the future. The article features comments from Daisy Christodoli, former teacher and the Director of Education at No More Marking. Christodoli recommends revision strategies such as self-quizzing, rather than re-reading and highlighting notes, and advised that revision for each subject or topic be spaced over days rather than crammed into one. But the advice also focused on leaving time for rest, relaxation and getting a good night's sleep, as these activities also help retain information in long-term memory. A new north-south divide is highlighted in the Manchester Evening News. (coughs) It focuses on newly released government data, which shows that there are eight parliamentary constituencies where there are no schools or sixth-form colleges, state or private, offering A-levels, with all but two in the north of England. An MP in one of the affected areas said it was unacceptable to not have a sixth form in her constituency. In Bolton West, one of the eight areas on the list, local Tory MP Chris Green said that having gone to a secondary school with a sixth form, I'm quite surprised by the number of schools without one. According to the Northern Powerhouse Partnership Lobbying Group, the Greater Manchester Borough of Bury has not a single school with a sixth form, though it does have two further education providers offering other post-16 qualifications. Former Children's Commissioner Anne Longfield said, It's shocking that some children are growing up in areas of the country where there is no provision for them to study A-levels, and doubly shocking that so many of them are in the North. As part of the government's recent levelling up white paper to tackle regional inequalities, 55 so-called education cold spots, many of which are in the North, will get extra investment. Struggling schools would be offered more support and new selective sixth-form colleges created. But Northern Powerhouse Partnership Director Henry Murison said the selective six forms aren't the answer to problems. A story on the Mirror Group newspaper website focuses on talks to introduce a new GCSE, which will focus on the environment and sustainability. School Standards Minister Robin Walker said talks were underway with Exam Board OCR with a view to introducing the course. He stated, the department is exploring proposals for a new GCSE in natural history. This is after a range of campaigners expressed concern about how subjects such as climate change, sustainability and environmental protection are being taught in primary and secondary schools. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. 
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week you may find you have a bit of time on your hands, so why don't you learn a new skill? I'm talking learning to code. There's loads of ways to get started for free. Check out Scratch from MIT, a block-based programming language. There's tutorials and a huge community of people who share their work. Imagine if your next presentation to the pupils was done through a game. The limit is only your imagination. If you want to get a bit more serious and you have a child to drag along with you, take a look at the Astro Pi Challenge. There's Mission Zero, spend an hour and program a Raspberry Pi in the International Space Station and get a certificate of where and when uh, yours, um, uh, the, the pupils code ran. If you want to get really involved, check out Mission Space Lab where you need to invest a bit more time but there's also some free kit for school involved. Do you just want some me time? Then look no further than EduBlocks or Trinket. These browser-based editors come with tutorials to get you going. Their tutorials help you cross over from blocks to text-based coding. If you want to be supported in coding, why not join me for an introduction to Python on May the 4th, 4 to 5pm. I'm going to teach an introduction to Python coding in Trinket. Any Teacher Talk radio listener can come for free. Details of how to join will follow shortly. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And we're back, and I'm still reeling from the um, revelation from the government that students should start revising for GCSEs and A-levels during the Easter holidays. Thanks, guys! Like, that had literally never occurred to any of us before. Quite remarkable. Stuart, I see you there. You've practiced dialing in. I've cruelly dismissed you because we were in the middle of the news. Do you want to call in now? Yeah, Jasmine pointing out, starting revising in Easter. Oh dear. While Stuart makes sure he can call in, Stuart, call in. Um, he's going to be talking about to us about the early career framework. He's got lots of other things to talk about, but most of them are currently under wraps and can't be talked about, which is very frustrating. Um, but later in the year, we'll have an exclusive with him and you'll be excited why. Stuart, are you there? Thank you. Hi, Stuart, can you hear Hello. me? Hello. Hi hey. there. <laughs> I'm so glad that worked. Right. Tell us all then. So you're a long-time friend of the show, Stuart McNichol, and all round. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you are. I'll just. I'll just puff you up for you. You're. Um, you're further education. You are uh, A-level language specialist. You've done uh, TED talks on the most astonishingly good presentation I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> TED talk. You are living proof that one can have a lecture-style delivery and yet still also be a, a hopeless lefty prog. That those. <laughs> don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, and you've recently been using the um, ECF for the first time, or ECP, which is it? Explain it to me. Okay, so as far as I understand it, yeah, uh, ECF and ECT seem to be pretty much um, interchangeable in terms of how people are talking about it. It's, it's the early career framework, and the ECT is the early career teacher, the person involved mm. in that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've... Uh, taken on the responsibility of being a mentor to uh, an early career teacher using this uh, this new framework i've been involved in a small capacity in initial teacher training for about five six years now and obviously when this new system came in i was super keen to dive on board and have a go um so it's a very interesting process i love the fact that uh 
it's actually specifying that that early career teachers should be getting specific amounts of support and they're actually sort of factoring that into to how your timetable works and so forth so that how them so how much how much support are they specified to get and how much Mm. support are you given in being able to provide that support right well the ECT uh, is entitled to an hour a week mentoring session in their first year, going through an hour every fortnight in their second year. Um, and that's, you know, again, factored into their timetable and thankfully factored into my timetable um, as, as the mentor as well. Uh, and alongside that, there's a whole raft of uh, what CPD sessions that run throughout the year, some face-to-face, some online, both for the early career teacher and for the mentors. I think what's really struck me is they really aren't uh, presuming any prior knowledge or uh, mm-hmm. practice of of um, of mentoring from the from the mentor. Even though I think it's very much you could be handheld through this process by the uh, by the um, materials they're providing. Um, oh, that's interesting. Is that is that? Do you find that? So th- I'm going to use some fairly loaded language now, mm, um, and it's, it ties back to ECT, which of course is electroconvulsive therapy. That's what mm. ECT means as an initialism. Uh, but mm. anyway, so do you feel straitjacketed by the extremely prescriptive nature of that, or is it actually quite liberating to not have to sit and think about it? Um, I think in a busy week, it is sometimes nice to have someone have done the planning for you. I can't, you know, deny that. Um, I do think my experience so far of the hour-long mentoring sessions, uh, there is easily an hour's worth of prescribed material to get through. But you're also in a real world where a real human being also wants to unpack a whole load of mm. stuff that's happened to them in the week and talk through that in a in a sort of more uh, improvised, spontaneous way. So. I would say it's probably nice and supportive that the material is so prescriptive in the sense that it provides quite a sort of um, a uh, a safety net. Uh, but I think some weeks I felt, goodness me, uh, there's an awful lot to get through in the prescribed material. But actually, it's of more value for me to actually listen to this human being sat in front of me and talk through what they want to, you know, uh, get their heads around. Right. I mean, yeah, that that first year is a very messy year, isn't it? Mm. You know, like for for the person, quite literally messy, you know, Mm. snot and tears and crying on occasion for many of us training. Um, Not me, of course, I would never cry. I I don't have tear ducts. Um, Yeah. But do do you find then that you still have time to get through stuff as well as doing real human connection with people? Um, I think there is, to be honest, I think there's a, a bit of weighing up what's really worthwhile and what can be what corners can be cut i think it's, it's an interesting real life demonstration for the early career teacher of, of you know those occasions where you go well this will do rather than this is everything uh, uh-huh. um but but that said i mean it, it, it's provided a structure you know which is nice um i think i've said nice three times already. <laughs> well um, nice is a good review maybe maybe a little tepid but uh mm, you know mm. tepid's not bad um and yeah um there's a i i think yeah there's there's a sense that there's an awful lot there but perhaps the fact that they've put aside time then reveals how much time you can actually really do with the fact that you go oh i've got an hour a week that sounds fantastic until you're doing it and you go really an hour a week you know isn't that much when you think about all the things you want to 
deliver to these these folks some of which is stuff that i'm finding the ECTs are being able to go, well, that, that's something I've, I've already covered in my, in my PGC. That's, and, that's the kind of feedback that I mm. think um, has been coming in across, mm. you know, both Twitter and then from people I've spoken to who, who are mm. kind of in charge of mentoring the whole program is that it's the order of things tool is, is quite prescriptive and also doesn't mm. take into account the fact that they, they may have done them already. So some centres are very much kind of going, yeah, whatever, we're che- checking that box, whereas others are doing it properly in inverted commas mm. and sort of making people go through those steps um what what's your thoughts on that um i think it's 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 interesting to get that information that intelligence that centers are reacting in a variety of ways to to delivering the whole material or you know saying they're delivering all the mm-hmm. material and so forth um I think I've been very much motivated by the thought that oh well I want to try to do it properly for the first year at least until I understand how it works and whether it works, you know, that uh, if I can uh, put my hand on my heart and by the end of the first year say, no, I've given it a good go at actually doing it the way they wanted me to do it and this bit works and this bit doesn't work, that's that's a, a, a good position to be in. Um, whereas if I were going into it going, yeah, we'll just sort of hand wave it, then I'm not really giving it a fair shake of the stick so to speak. Right, and, and nor do we then get kind of, I suppose, broad feedback on whether or not it's helpful if, yes. yeah. But that, that does point to some of the issues of trying to centralise processes is you can't actually mm. guarantee that, that they'll be delivered as as planned and required. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Delivery, yeah, consistency of delivery across the whole place with, with uh, probably very different internal systems in place in each mm. school and college and institution. Yeah, that, uh, that it could be one in one place, one person trying to run it all in another place. You know, spread across a number of different mentors with you know, yeah, uh, initial teacher training, which has given that. me a, a kind of dystopian vision of the the system scrutiny that mm. that would rise up to make sure that was being done. Um, right. Well, thank you. Before I um, kick you off and bring on my next victim, tell me about Tom Waits Bone Machine, which I, oh. I believe is what your initial offer was. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Last night. No. Um, Bone Machine by Tom Waits is horrifying and clanking and grunting and and exactly what I want my English lessons to be like. Um, <laughs> no, um, but atonal and grating and yet also spiritually uplifting and, and a, a spear straight through the psyche of, absolutely. of the Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think when I was a teenager, Tom Waits was very much the, the musician that I used as a test to see if my friends were cool enough to hang out with me. That if they were... <laughs> tolerate a Tom Waits album that were probably okay to be spending time with um, and I think my lessons are probably the same thing for students that you know if you can sit through one of mine then you're very much oh okay you're an okay person okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard your lectures they're, they're absolutely gripping and you're talking nonsense but not nonsense about Tom Waits um, I very much like the idea of a, an album purity test to um, mm. to quantify whether people are good enough I'm going to be asking musician polymath and renaissance man quite literally uh george napthine about his right thank you so oh, much to it um go back to your morning uh vindicated in the knowledge that you've brought information to people <laughs> and uh, help to your struggling friend who didn't have a radio show planned as always bye, bye for now. right george if you could call in please i see you're there well done you guys have really come through for me this morning. 
uh, everybody else, while we're we're waiting to see if, if George can call in, um, do you have an album purity test? And what would yours be? I think when I was 15, mine was probably Conflict and Crass, if you could cope with, with music that loud. Yes, uh, no, I'm not getting a message that you're calling in, George. George is trying to call in. Uh, Stuart's still connected. Uh, 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 George is trying again. I'm narrating what's happening. There we go. All right, George, you are now a speaker. There you are. Hi, Hello. thank you so much. How are you today? I'm very well. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. You sound wow. beautiful and gorgeous and present. So, and like you've got really good um, mic setup. Very impressive. This like, is uh, my mobile phone. <clears throat> in my daughter's, I'm in my daughter's bedroom, surrounded by cuddly toys. <laughs> What's your musical purity test? And yeah, basically, I want to. Um, I don't know. When I was at school, I was in a band, and uh, it definitely would have not have been the music we were making. I think. Um, I moved from, I remember one, actually, I remember something that relates to that. When I was at primary school, the first album I ever bought was um, Bross's first album. <laughs> and then... Why will, will I be famous? I can't that was, that was a single. I can't answer that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then my friend Simon said, <laughs> what music do you like? And I said, Bross. And he said, Bross, I like Michael Jackson. And from that point on, from that second on, I hated bros and i loved michael jackson <laughs> and then I, yeah. so that was him doing that to me well but i thought you were a baby so how do you mind me asking vaguely what year you were born i was born in exactly 1982 ah see i was born in 1971 and bros was when i was in sixth form so i was right know, yeah cool and sneering and listening to crass at that point so yeah. cool yeah exactly not the same thing at all. Completely um, different generations. Well, yeah, you are safely disconnected. Well, actually, you're still connected. So Stuart's asking if you're still connected. You are disconnected, but still connected. But I think I've muted you. Um, if we hear you talking to your cat, we'll, we'll let you know. Okay. Um, what Excellent. kind of music does your daughter like? Does she like your own music? Uh, she, well, she likes lots of kind of, um, you know, typical London bridges falling down and things like that that she gets at nursery but what i've realized is it's all just about exposure to good stuff so the only reason she likes that stuff is because she hears it all the time so now she asks for catch the wind by donovan uh because nice. i listen to that quite a lot and uh she calls him pop dylan and um, so <laughs> in the car it's catch the wind and pop dylan i would listen to highway highway 61 revisited uh, in the car and I sing along really really loudly so I'm just making her like good stuff although the other day someone said Bob Dylan's a horrifically misogynist and everything he's ever done is terrible in that way and I suddenly thought oh god um, I don't, that's not in the lyrics I didn't, Besides, if we're take I didn't notice any that artists from the 60s and 70s they were horrifically well, quite. misogynist and terrible to women so uh, I'm still uh, exposing my tiny daughter to that misogyny but it's very enjoyable at the moment and we'll see where it leads there was um a john oliver was being interviewed by someone the other day and he said his a uh, his three-year-old child had heard um the one 
Red Hot Chili Peppers album that everybody's heard and have become completely yeah. obsessed. So now this tiny toddler is always requesting Under the Bridge Downtown and yeah. <laughs> staring soulfully while they talk about they don't want to live like you know, ever again. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I like it. Mm. So you were going to do Book Corner for us. And uh, yeah. yeah, you were going to tell us about a rom-com book you've just read and review it. Do yes. Uh, well, welcome to my book corner. I read very slowly and I read lots of books at the same time, which means it takes me a very, very long time to read one book. So I've been reading um, Little House in the Big Woods, the first uh, Little House on the Prairie uh, book, for about yeah. for about six months uh, Do you know, because I find it so boring. What, 70 pages long? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, really short. <laughs> and I just don't. I don't get it. I, I just dip in every so often and I get really bored really quickly and then I have to stop. And I realise that's slightly sacrilegious, but I, yeah, you can't say I mean, like, you can't say anything oh, bad about... Uh, about lots of bad things about Laura Ingalls Wilder. She's completely cancelled now. But oh, is she? Um, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But for very good reason. <laughs> I mean, her, her okay. representation of of the the frontier and the the uh, you know genocide of the Indians is is just awful. Um, I haven't got onto that yet. Yeah. That is yeah. that in the end. Is that right at the so end of Little like, House and the Big Woods? <laughs> and then they kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. No, well, they because Little House in the Big Woods is in Wisconsin, so that's before they've gone further west. So then they end oh, up in the Oklahoma spoilers. territories doing <laughs> doing doing a cultural and literal genocide. You know, Mar says, oh, wow. Mar says quite famously, "The only good Indian is a dead Indian," and it's like, wow. mm, nah. yeah, yeah." While well, she's like. Um, sewing something. <laughs> exactly, um, and, and with her one, like the the little china doll on the shelf, and the one book she owns that they talk about. Every yeah. Time. yeah, and they make some make some maple syrup and you have really a jig. Stuck in the middle of little house in the big woods. <laughs> yeah, I'm right near the end. I just can't face it. Each time I've got so many books. So uh, yeah, the rom com was uh, called. What was it called? Uh, if I Never Met You. And it's by a Nottingham author called Vary McFarlane. And what happened was I, uh, someone very close to me is trying to write a rom-com. And mm -hmm. in order to be helpful, I thought I need to read one that's out there because I've never read one. And I just got unbelievably sucked into this world. Mm. And I was like turning the light off at two in the morning, even though I knew I needed to be up at six you know, to look after the Bob Dylan fan. And then um, I just couldn't stop reading. I was like, I knew they were going to get together. But I was just so <laughs> unbelievably gripped by this book. And I've started another one by her called Don't You Forget About Me. Anyway, um, but it has, a, what's been turning over in my mind a lot is a kind of high and low culture and, you know, just the, the different types of books that are out there and why we're reading them and stuff. Also, mm. you recommended Slow Horses. That was, in your words, a banger. And I was thinking, oh, this is great. I'm really enjoying these books. <laughs> all I've read, you know, all I read really is either some kind of vaguely grown-up book or kids' books. And so there's this whole other world, which is, you know, thrillers or rom-coms that are actually just purely there so that you enjoy them. Absolutely. And, and I think I'm, like young adult fiction, like, like I went through yeah. a whole phase where I was like, I'm not reading grown up. I'll read nonfiction 
I'll read young adult fiction and everybody else can just get in the sea. I want, I want yeah. a story, you know? I, I was reading... I was reading The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro and all I kept thinking was this guy couldn't write a kid's book if he tried. <laughs> like if he if he tried to dip his toe into the world of you know kids books or or yeah YA fiction he would just be completely he wouldn't it would be like the editors would just throw it out. I, can't, I was anyway uh yeah, and then oh, I also read uh, "Flow My Tears," the policeman said by Philip K. Dick. I love um, that. I love all Philip K. Dick. Yeah. What did you think? There was one. Uh, I liked it. There was a chapter again. I always had. I was just haunted by this idea of just like you, know, you wouldn't get away with that in a in a kid's <laughs> book, uh, which I think I don't think it's completely unuseful to have that in your head as a writer. Like, would I get away with this if well, the, re the thing, reader yes. had no patience? I'm not, I've, I've never been a particularly huge fan of long form science fiction. So for me, it, it, I came across it as a teenager, largely from my American mother through short story as its primary right. mode. And so Philip K. Dick's short stories are just perfect in their own way. Yes. Um, they're a bit like, I don't think he's the basis of Vonnegut's Kilgore Trout. Do you know what I'm talking about with Kilgore Trout? I do. Yeah. The author. So then yeah. just that idea where you're like, I've just got pure story. I'm just going to pitch the story. And then we're not going to bother writing it up. It's just, what if? And um, mm. yeah, so on that basis, Philip K. Dick's short stories would all be, you know, bangers of children's novels. They really would. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Kurt Vonnegut could write a kid's book, definitely. Yeah. Maybe too mm. many anuses in it or something. But yes, very much Yeah. So. Well, he said that there was an interview he did with someone where they both just dissolve into laughter because it was what one of them suggests a planet on which the only form of communication is farting. And then they they both just completely, it just disappears into laughter as people, <laughs> as they imagine it. And that's a great, there's a great little kid's book there, I'm sure. Uh, Although Stuart, really hard to write. <laughs> Stuart's saying, I think Kilgore Trout is a self-insert by Vonnegut. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. But I, I think there's also some, um, some, some There's some dick in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's some dick in there. Yeah, you know, I just call him Philip mm. K because... Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, just that name. And his middle name's Kindred, which just seems like... Kindred, super. as in spirit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Isn't it? So, um, in your so, rom-com, yeah. what, what was yeah. the setup? What was the... There was a... The right at the beginning, very long-term relationship breaks down. The uh, man says that he feels trapped and he just, you know, needs his freedom but it was actually that he was conducting an emotional affair with someone else and the, mm. that comes to light soon after that was very well written uh, and then um there's a guy at her law firm with a reputation as being a real ladies man and a bit of a smarmy guy but turns out he's not and he's really great and uh, they end up together <laughs> just over 400 pages but it was <laughs> Really good. I, I honestly recommend it very, uh, very much. Well, no, I mean, I think, you know, when I was reading Jane Austen as a 12-year-old, I wasn't yes. reading it because of her beautifully designed Augustan sentences. I was reading it because it was a rom-com, you know? Like, yeah, that's... and the Darcy model is very much there. And mm. it just, um, you just think, I mean, I don't know, I can't quite, I've read Pride and Prejudice a couple of times, but I can't quite remember at what point I know she basically falls in love with him when she sees his house. But, <laughs> well, she um, makes a joke about that, but to some extent yeah. it's true as well. Yeah. <laughs> it is. 
Um, but I can't remember at what point as, as a reader you realise that Darcy actually is great and doesn't really do, is not as horrible as everyone says kind of thing. Um, I know that he says, you know, she is tolerable, I suppose, yeah, near the beginning. Yeah. And you think, oh, whatever. But then and um, she says, keep your breast to cool your porridge and I'll keep mine to swell my soul or something like that. It writes itself. <laughs> um, I'll tell you when it is. It's after what I've, I once caused a very minor local controversy on Twitter by saying, obviously, no one ever reads Darcy's letter that he writes to her after his first proposal. And uh, when you right. read it, you just skip that 5,000 page section. And everybody else is like, no, I love that letter. It's my favorite bit because they're liars and wrong. Um, okay. And it's after she reads the letter several times. So that must have taken at least three weeks for her. Um, yeah. And, and then, yeah, we realize actually he's an okay dude. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, the next, this, what the next one, don't you forget about me, is a lot more kind of there's a lot more one-liners. It's much more calm mm -hmm. than the last one was, the focus was on the rum. <laughs> but this is a lot more calm so far. <laughs> uh, but I'm learning on my second rom-com what the kind of the format is mm -hmm. a bit more now. But yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the, I feel like, you know, obviously proper books, proper literature and all that stuff can really plumb some depths that, that other books can't. And what ends up happening sometimes is that, you know, narrative and those things go out of the window because of this amazing set piece that, you know, Virginia Woolf or Proust or someone might just go for. Mm. And it's amazing. And it's the best thing you've ever read. And you think, wow, that's, you know, what oft was thought, but ne'er so well expressed. And you've, <laughs> you've really, you've really got me there. Uh, and you've, you've opened up my own life to me. But then sometimes oh, so there's I, think, a, I like what, there's a layer. Of, I'm just going to interrupt you. I like because I do that. Sorry. Um, there's a layer of fourth wall there. Like like so when you're reading, Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. Like look at me reading this book. I'm reading it. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Aren't I great? You know. There's a bit in Mrs. The reason I mentioned her is there's a bit in Mrs. Dalloway when she's looking at some trees, and it's like one of my the best things I've ever read. Where she mm. it's about how the mist hangs on trees, and that when when someone dies that's how they remain as the kind of the mist that hangs on the trees that are still there or something like that anyway. But then I feel like sometimes it's so it's as though some people think, well, if I get rid of the narrative and everything else, that's, <laughs> it's just 100% misty trees. That's just a misty up, trees all the way down. <laughs> that's a grown up book. You know? uh -huh. But you need, you need the, the good stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's just a lack of interest. Absolutely, I mean, Jane, qualify. Eyre is, Jane Eyre is great because of all the rom-com stuff. Not, not if it was hundred percent her staring at, at stars and drawing mystical pictures of of girls' heads. Then, yeah, no, thank you. No, um, I've also read "Toot Toot Beep Beep" about twenty times this week, <laughs> which is uh, by Emma Garcia. Um, it's got some nice illustrations. Although some of the cars are a bit gender stereotyped, like the long pink, the long pink limousine is a girl, and then the, like the sporty black sports car is a boy, and things like that. No, no, but, it's kind of like demanding a Freudian read there. Uh, Martin yeah. is pointing out that plot is the enemy of literature. Well, plot sort of sounds like it's the enemy of toot toot beep beep or whatever it's called as well. There isn't much of a plot in no. Toot Toot Beep Beep. It's interesting. I suppose plot emerges and then disappears as you go up the scale. So when you start off, it's just 
here's a lion, here's your face. Like that's a, an early learning book. Then you get plot and then it Deer disappears. <laughs> Deer Zoo, yeah. Deer Zoo is an interesting one. I saw um, uh, Adam Boxer's critique of that recently. Oh, nice. I there's, to... there's a lot. Well, he was saying, who would send back the lion and all these cool <laughs> animals and keep a puppy? Well, I, you know, I would, I didn't want any pets, but the, yeah, the whole, the whole idea is very strange that a zoo would send <laughs> animals to, uh, I'm assuming a child, just in the post and just offer them out. There's a similar problem to the dinosaur department store that offers <laughs> dinosaurs as pets. <laughs> yeah, do you know my favourite uh, um, when my yeah. child was small was uh, Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus, which I feel I has haven't... a realistic message for us all. Do not let the pigeon drive the bus. Yeah, that would be horrifying. Terrible idea. Yeah, um, yeah there's, yeah, there's, I have a problem with, now this is sacrilegious. Get ready. Uh, I have a problem with quite a lot of Julia Donaldson books. In that uh, I think yeah. that there's, I, I feel like they just need another few edits. Like I know you need to write about 50 books a week, but there's some of them that are just. Which, okay, like let's the... call out, call out Julia Donaldson, cancel some of her work. <laughs> which, which of the bad well, ones? I think a squash and a squeeze, rubbish. Don't, not big fan I think, I think yeah. that, um, uh, Hippo Has a Hat is a great book. Uh, See, that's, that's no problem with one. that. I'm really into the old stuff. But, uh, what, what happens what in Hippo the... Has a Hat? The one we've got here that I was specifically talking about then is what the ladybird heard on holiday, which <laughs> is... Is that the real ends, title? Yeah, and the lanky Len and hefty Hugh try and steal the crown jewels, but the ladybird talks talks to the corgis beforehand and they switch. They, they kidnap a monkey from a zoo, they get the monkey to climb into Buckingham Palace to try and steal the crown jewels, but the corgis put loads of bones in the sack instead of the crown jewels and then the thieves take the bag to a park and it ends with loads of dogs arriving because they want the bones and they're just running around trying to get rid of these dogs but they they hold on to the bones that's why the dogs are still chasing them and you just think just leave the bones this is this wouldn't be a problem you don't want the bones so why is this uh, and it goes on for a few pages you know the, the thieves took off with leaps and bounds, pursued by all the hungry hounds. And the, and it's like it's because they are literally in the pictures. They're holding loads of bones. Why? Just drop them. Put the bones down. Yeah. Yeah. Would you? You have any Don't other advice it. for any other characters in Julia Donaldson picture books? Uh, well, in this one specifically, I think um, the plan is very strange because the, the ladybird overhears the thieves talking about the planned kidnapping. So wait, is this all predicated on the ladybird being a knock, essentially? Right. So the ladybird kind of... the ladybird is on a day trip to London. Okay. And visits visits the zoo, overhears the thieves talking about how they're gonna kidnap the monkey, tells all the animals, and they all just say, No, we're not gonna let them kidnap Monkey Joe. That is already a better plan than the ladybirds because they could just not let them like there's no way they could over it there it's like a, a zoo animals revolt or, against attempting kidnap of a monkey seems like uh, or the let them arrive like, yeah and try and try and kidnap monkey joe and then he's they're torn to pieces by a lion 
same lion that really who knows about the plan yeah, yeah yeah um but then but then what happens of course is the um the ladybird just does this massively complicated plan involving telling the corgis actually the whole book is dedicated to the corgi the actual corgis one of which has died it's like in memory of one of the queen's corgis <laughs> it says at the end for willow and in memory of holly the queen's corgis what was she yeah. like the child laureate or something <laughs> i don't know i don't know maybe she was at that point yeah that this would be her attempt yeah one of my favorite things in the world is when caroline duffy um would actually try and crank out a poet laureate poem and they are oh, what? so awkward her poems about the, <laughs> the royal family she's got her one on um, william and kate's marriage it just basically is her going rings rings in a tree rings on water rings rings a great ring a bell ring a ding ding you are getting married have a ring <laughs> so you okay. tell she had her eyes closed and she wrote it and hated herself while she was doing it but, uh, did um did ted hughes do much i don't he, you know what i still have he was laureate right i have that sad white girl 15 year old self that lives inside me which still refuses to read any ted hughes because of sylvia oh. Plath. And that's pathetic. Okay. I know that's pathetic, but I'm still... I bet Sylvia Plath liked reading Ted Hughes. <laughs> right up until she didn't like reading Ted Hughes anymore. Yeah. yeah. So what, what oh. else, what children's books do you know by heart? What can you recite? Um, Peace at Last. Who's that one? Uh, that's by Jill Murphy. She died oh, just yeah, recently, yeah. actually. Peace at Last is a great one because uh, he's just trying to get to sleep and he's just going all over the place to different settings, trying to get to sleep. And then he just gets to sleep and the alarm clock goes off. But it ends really brilliantly where his wife says, did you sleep well? And he says, not really, dear. And then she says, never mind, I'll make you a nice cup of tea. And the last page is, and she did. And he's, <laughs> and he's lying on a bed looking really horribly tired and, his, and baby bears jumping up and down on top of him with holding a bill and... <laughs> And uh, his wife's bringing him a cup of tea, but it's just nice. It's very realistic and grim mm. and, and English. I can see because until my kid was two, we lived in the States. So all my picture books, all our foundational picture books were US ones, largely. Okay. Unless I imported them. So yeah, that, that's very distinctly different to say where the wild things are or Goodnight yes. Moon, which, which I adore. Goodnight Moon. Have you read Goodnight Moon? It's got some unnecessary uh, drama in it, I have to say. The... What sticks with me from Goodnight Moon, I don't think, I haven't read it to my daughter. I think I must have heard it. Is the, isn't it have alarmingly garish colours? I picture it as being like really... Delightfully garish colours. Delight, oh, that's what I meant. Delightfully <laughs> garish colours. It's just, there's this beautiful thing where you go through everything in the room and you say, you know, good night, yes. moon, good night, this. There's a bit but in the wire good where they. Good night, nobody. Good night, nobody. What? Like, it's just beautiful. I had a, I had, an, I had a, an imaginary friend when I was little called nobody. Yeah. That's, um, that seems like you would get yourself caught up in Odysseus's, uh, no, rather, yeah. thing there. Quite. I just nobody couldn't get is enough. hurting me. Nobody has. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So were you constantly making pronouncements about what nobody was doing and everybody else was like, curse you, if only I could... Well, I, ha I had to get this information off my sister because I'd forgotten having such a... <laughs> that was too little. But I had a, a sister called Jessica, which seems to puncture the kind of, I don't know, the philosophical 
side to it. That you know, having an imaginary friend called nobody, that feels like that's quite a special thing. That's but I mean, like, nobody had a sister called Jessica. <laughs> I think I just couldn't think of a name for my imaginary friend. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So the last thing I was going to ask you before I um, release you to your fatherly duties, lying on a bed, drinking mm-hmm. a cup of tea, looking at Bill or whatnot, is um, you yeah. asked about empathy and novels and reading. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just looking at a, a school's website and it said, and it said, this is why we do reading for pleasure. And one of the things that was on there was that it... Um, improves empathy skills and that made me think well I, it's definitely something i've seen you talk about before and i think does it yeah. you know, I, I just on a very local uh um scale i think of the people i know who read loads and loads and loads and the people i know who don't really read and i don't notice a huge like moral difference between them the ones that the non-readers aren't out there <laughs> stomping on cats and doing hate no exactly <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah that's a, it's a huge discussion. Um, but the, my favorite thing about that is there was a phase in uh, like the early 2000s when desperate literature departments started whacking people in MRI machines to do brain scans oh, right, yeah. while they were reading Middlemarch and whatnot in order to prove oh, yeah. the ability of literature. I'm like, mates, just stop. <laughs> also, it just, I mean, it just depends on the book, right? I mean, if you're reading mm. Mein Kampf for pleasure, that's <laughs> probably not going to improve your empathy and also yeah there's there's so many problems people really enjoy reading horrible books yeah it's still reading for pleasure but it's just wrong what's the most horrible before i let you go what is the most horrible book you've ever read have you ever read a book where you had to like read through your fingers or like with one eye uh well i don't know i mean you're talking fiction Mm. Yeah, the kind of empathising with monsters type fiction. Oh, goodness. Because um... for me, that's quite easy. It's American Psycho. I, I literally read yeah, that. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, correct. That, that's yeah. it. That's the same one. Because the genius of that book is it's just so funny. Whilst well, also being what? Sorry, Tom, for swearing. You know, he's, a, he's like, <laughs> and now, after all these scenes of torture, a chapter on Whitney Houston. And yeah, now, yeah, it's yeah, it's like reading Alan Partridge. <laughs> like that some of some of the best bits are, um, yeah, the chapter on uh, Talking Heads and the bands and stuff, and that just kind of, and that there's absolutely no difference in tone whether he's talking yeah. about Whitney Houston's third album or something I can't even describe. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I absolutely love that book, but it was yeah, definitely the most horrific bit of fiction. The other thing you were going to ask me is what I read with my class last. And the last Ooh, book I finished true. with my class was Once by uh, Morris Gleitzman, which is oh. um, like Holocaust uh, mm. fiction uh, and I think is a really great book. And, uh, you know, the, the Boy in the Striped Pajamas is often a, a subject on Twitter where people yeah. go on just to say that it's not very good and then go away again. And then, <clears throat> but yeah, I found that book, a Boy in the Striped Pajamas, a very, very, a kind of s- suspicious book almost. And I really didn't like it. And uh, I, I found it, I read it, and I read it shortly after it came out before the, I'd read any discourse about it. And it yeah. felt like a cheap joke. It felt like a punchline, like a stand-up act. Like, 
The other thing, one of the things about it, aside from the completely weird depiction of just like, yeah, in in, um, in concentration camps, kids could just hang out at the side yeah. and chat, um, was the um, the fact that the the main character is. I think meant to be nine years old, mm. but he reads like a toddler. Like he, he mm. he's, and it's not like a disarming kind of naivety. It's like it, he's seriously, belo- he, he did not think about what's a nine-year-old like. Yeah. yeah. And that is something that annoys me when, when kids are either, you know, like just talking in incredibly eloquent paragraphs and they're seven or, someone writes something and they just sound like that, you know, they can't form a thought and they're meant to be yeah. nine or well, 10. Cause I teach kids that are that age. Nine or 10 and not know who the Fuhrer was. Is Yeah, exactly. And that, and, but once on the other hand does this clever thing, which is that the main character is really naive because he's been stuck in an orphanage, kept away from everything for all this time. So mm-hmm. all the kids I'm reading it to end up going, Oh, Felix, come on, like wake up. Right. And then eventually he does, and all his innocence and all his love of storytelling gets completely eroded away totally mm-hmm. when he realizes, you know, no one quite realizes the enormity of it. But he, and, and that, I think that's a really clever use of dramatic irony that all the kids in my class are thinking, come on, you know, yeah, this, this is what's really happening. And it's all in that book. So I think that's a really good one to, if, if you feel the need to do. Uh, a book like that, that's a good one to do. And as an adult, have you read um, Gunter Grass's The Tin Drum? No. <laughs> well, that that I, I could not recommend more highly, but that one, you know, again, it's the whole rise of Hitler and then the entire experience, but all from the point of view of uh, a, a Christian German. But he's um, the conceit there is that he is perpetually looks like a child. He has a, a nebulously defined disorder where he never looks like he grows up above the age of about seven. And yet he mm. is an adult man. So we see it from this child's child's height perspective of, of, a, of mm. a man who can go anywhere because he's as a child. It's a very, very disturbing book. Um, I recommend it, but not for year five. No, no. I won't anyway. read it to them. <laughs> and, and on the young adult level, um, again, from that sort of Holocaust narrated from a, a Christian German point of view, I recommend The Book Thief. That... Um, if you want a bit of okay. banging, have you not read that one? I read, you know what? You'd be horrified at the books I haven't read. <laughs> that one, I cried for the, solidly for the last 200 pages of The Book Thief, just wept uncontrollably. So, Couldn't even it. see the words. Exactly. They swam on the page yeah. as I wept even more. Okay. All right. I will let you go. Have a lovely morning and thank you so much. You've been fabulous. I think I'm going to corral you for book talk more often. Um, Excellent. You have no choice. All right. Thank you so much. Um, thank that you. That has been George Napthine, who, if you can, I will mute you and then you can try and disconnect yourself. There you go. You're muted. So you can make noise now. Um, hopefully, we're going to be talking to Jasmine Lane very shortly. And I'm just going to play the news again first. So we've had Stuart McNichol talking to us about the early career framework and early career teachers he's mentoring. We've just had George being hilarious and funny. Um, cancelling Julia Donaldson and we're about to have Jasmine after the news. See you in five.
This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wordeslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out! Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. With many schools across England and Wales now on holiday for Easter, or with a break imminent, The Guardian is reporting that many GCSE and A-level students are being advised to begin revising in earnest. Experienced teachers and education experts alike are making the recommendations so students avoid exam stress. Across the UK, close to 2 million teenagers will be preparing for exams with students in England and Wales and Northern Ireland, sitting their first papers on May 16th. Many teachers already know that the secret to reducing stress is good preparation and that a little bit of stress during the break might well avoid super stress in the future. The article features comments from Daisy Christodoulou, former teacher and the Director of Education at No More Marking. Christodoulou recommends revision strategies such as self-quizzing, rather than re-reading and highlighting notes, and advised that revision for each subject or topic be spaced over days rather than crammed into one. But the advice also focused on leaving time for rest, relaxation and getting a good night's sleep as these activities also help retain information in long-term memory. 
a new north-south divide is highlighted in the Manchester Evening News. It focuses on newly released government data, which shows that there are eight parliamentary constituencies where there are no schools or sixth form colleges, state or private, offering A-levels, with all but two in the north of England. An MP in one of the affected areas said it was unacceptable to not have a sixth form in her constituency. In Bolton West, one of the eight areas on the list, local Tory MP Chris Green said that having gone to a secondary school with a sixth form, I'm quite surprised by the number of schools without one. According to the Northern Powerhouse Partnership Lobbying Group, the Greater Manchester Borough of Bury has not a single school with a sixth form, though it does have two further education providers offering other post-16 qualifications. Former Children's Commissioner Anne Longfield said, It's shocking that some children are growing up in areas of the country where there is no provision for them to study A-levels, and doubly shocking that so many of them are in the North. As part of the government's recent levelling up white paper to tackle regional inequalities, 55 so-called education cold spots, many of which are in the north, will get extra investment. Struggling schools would be offered more support and new selective sixth form colleges created. But Northern Powerhouse Partnership Director Henry Murison said the selective sixth forms aren't the answer to problems. A story on the Mirror Group newspaper website focuses on talks to introduce a new GCSE, which will focus on the environment and sustainability. School Standards Minister Robin Walker said talks were underway with exam board OCR, with a view to introducing the course. He stated, The department is exploring proposals for a new GCSE in natural history. This is after a range of campaigners expressed concern about how subjects such as climate change, sustainability and environmental protection are being taught in primary and secondary schools. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week you may find you have a bit of time on your hands, so why don't you learn a new skill? I'm talking learning to code. There's loads of ways to get started for free. Check out Scratch from MIT, a block-based programming language. There's tutorials and a huge community of people who share their work. Imagine if your next presentation to the pupils was done through a game. The limit is only your imagination. If you want to get a bit more serious and you have a child to drag along with you, take a look at the Astro Pi Challenge. There's Mission Zero, spend an hour and program a Raspberry Pi in the International Space Station and get a certificate of where and when uh, yours, um, uh, the, the pupils code ran. If you want to get really involved, check out Mission Space Lab where you need to invest a bit more time, but there's also some free kit for school involved. Do you just want some me time? Then look no further than EduBlocks or Trinket. These browser-based editors come with tutorials to get you going. Their tutorials help you cross over from blocks to text-based coding. If you want to be supported in coding, why not join me for an introduction to Python on May the 4th, 4 to 5 p.m. I'm going to teach an introduction to Python coding in Trinket. Any Teacher Talk radio listener can come for free. Details of how to join will follow shortly. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And we're back. You caught me slightly distracted by uh, James Hanscom having tagged me into a piece of writing on the difficulty of seducing mermaids. Um, Everyone is beginning to have me completely pegged. What will distract Tabitha? I know this passage on the difficulty of seducing mermaids. Yes, you got me. That's who I am. Uh, Jasmine, are you here? Can you call in? 
We are The Breakfast Show. We are The Breakfast Show. It's um, I'm Tabitha Bankadosh. I've got people calling in to talk stuff, and we, Jasmine and I, have nothing in particular planned. I'm inviting her in now. Hello. Can you hear me, Jasmine? Oh, there I am. Okay, there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for something to say, like, you've joined, and it, it didn't, but no, I'm here. Just me saying, are you there? Which, uh, yeah, which we work on a sound for that. You're live on the press show. <laughs> Ooga. So, uh, yeah, I said I'd ask you about your terrible dreams because they kept you asleep. What was happening in your terrible dreams, Jasmine? Honestly, so it's it's been happening like the past like month and a half where every night I have really vivid dreams. Some of them are really violent. Um like, That's a shocker coming from you. Yeah. <laughs> no, like last week. Okay, so I'm actually gonna I'm gonna start with this one because last week I was back in one of my. Oh, sorry. That's my uh, that's oh. my child calling me. Who can wait? Yeah. Uh, last week I was in like one of one of my many childhood houses, um, which I haven't lived there since I was twelve or uh. thirteen. Um, and it it actually turned into like a crack den. Um. <laughs> And like someone yeah. tried to rob me, but like my hod was still there somehow. And she was like the the landlady and was like, Hey, like if someone tries to rob you, like just give them this thing on the wall. Um uh, there were also a lot of guns. So that was and like it was very vivid. Um, but last night it was like some weird magical like there was like a really small person that was like really, really obese too, and like I had to pretend like someone was like blackmailing me and I had to do something with this person. And I don't, I don't even, it was just, I, I slept, I, I, I dreamt the whole night. Um, but this has been happening every, every day for like the past month and a half. It's, it's a different dream every night. So that, that seems like stress. What is that? This is, has been, I think everyone's saying the most difficult term um, that anyone could remember having that we're all broken, broken, exhausted and, and stressed out by skulls. And of course, this is your introduction to teaching in England. <laughs> Like, I would say it's not always like this, but it, it does tend to be this stressful by this time. But uh, yeah, this one's spectacular. This one's yeah. But I mean, even in the in the autumn term, though, like it, I didn't I didn't have this, and I, I felt like I I felt like I was really in like a groove this this um term. So I'm I just I don't know what it's just it's month and a half just solid weird all encompassing dreams. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. But so that that was it. But before I woke up, and then you were like, "Just in case you're awake," and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, "Louise is suggesting the background music for introducing Jasmine's dream." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so how are you? Um, I, I love all your your tweeting about and blogging about teaching. I love it that you're now doing A level, and you're going to be doing it again in September, right? You're yep. taking an A level. So yep. I'm. I think what I'm interested there is. In A-level, my experience of teaching, I taught undergraduates as part of being in grad school. And so I taught, you know, the 100 level class in the States. And my experience very much was that, that they were year 12 level by the time yep. when they came to me. They yep. really, so I would teach at A-level standard and then, and they're all, you know, heaven to go, God forbid, first year undergraduate standard, I get observed and, and they were basically like, they were, they were happy about it, but they're like, oh my God, you're teaching them in such a complex way. I'm like, yeah, they're, 
They're 19 and 20. Why, why aren't you? So it's quite staggering how hardcore we get, how quickly, I think, in, um, in this country. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely noticed that, like, the things that, um, like, I'm asking of my year nines, I'm just like, I I didn't do some of this stuff until, like, maybe year 10, um, mm-hmm. you know, year 11, possibly, and just the, I mean, I'm not going to say, like, the expectations are higher, but no, I actually, I'm going to say that. The expectations of what they can do is a lot higher, um, and I think that makes a difference. I, I think we can sometimes fall into, like, you know, like um, high expectations, then you'll teach like the kite runner in year eight. So, like, oh, yeah. you know, things like that are like, yikes. Um, but like what they can be pushed to do, um, like writing style wise and even just thinking wise, I think is is kind of incredible here. Yeah. And just a completely different set of expectations. I think when you when you haven't taught outside your national system, you have very little idea about the expectations built into to other places and and yet our expectations here are very high yeah. very high someone just said mike hill just said on uh, twitter the best that has been thought and said is not a good curriculum principle and owes its popularity mainly to iambic tetrameter <laughs> 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 do you agree i mean are, are we focusing too much on on ambitious texts in key stage three at the expense of looking at what we really are, are doing well, which is advanced skills and approaches, or, or are both can both things be true? Tell me your thoughts. I think what I notice is, I mean, I don't, I don't even. How do I really put this? I think people don't know what to do with Key Stage Three because because there's no exam at the end because like in key stage four it's like okay here's our exams i'm going to plan backwards from that but then people don't necessarily know how to go before that and just kind of build up and just like teach literature for fun um without like any kind of like what's the end goal and i think that's kind of a positive for me is that there is no like the journey is the thing in america basically if there is one um, and so, you know, when I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, this would be interesting. This would be interesting. This would like, that's pretty much how, I mean, that's not how I'm planning my curriculum, but that is what I'm thinking. Like, I'm not thinking, um, you know, we need to be able to do a question four in year right. 11. So how am I going to practice question four from year seven? Um, and I think that's unfortunately what I see a lot of in a lot of, um, resources that are shared. Yeah. Which was in it, it was really, um, it was really unbearable when the reform GCSEs were first introduced because we were all so overwhelmed with, well, how are we going to get them to deal with unseen 19th century? Yeah. I know we'll just start giving them nothing but 19th century from the beginning of year seven onwards. <laughs> like exactly. absolutely deranged schemes of, of Key Stage 3 predicated on Mayhew and Dickens, constant Mayhew and constant Dickens. <laughs> but, uh, but, but we have, we have moved away from that which is good, as you say. I think there's something to, listening to you there, something to Key Stage 3 functioning, having the capacity to function more like one of the strongest points in the American system, which is the survey course, where Mm -hmm. you get a sense of development over time or a range of of things happening in a particular moment. Whereas, you know, traditionally the British system has been, we're going to treat two texts like they're the Bible and, and learn every word of them and pour over them as if, you know, and Inspector Cools is actually a document of, of phenomenal import <laughs> instead of the worst play ever written. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
I was telling my year tens about your experience of, of reading in the spectacles, what I should do, <laughs> last time you were on, you were on with Daniel and he went off into that. He did his, his one man show version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Inspector, which was truly one of the greatest pieces of audio of all time. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that is not a good, that is not a good play. Um, it's just so heavy-handed, and someone on Twitter once they said uh, they're like it's understated and like something. <laughs> I'm like what? What text are you reading? Where this is? Oh, he inspected me, all right. Like <laughs> that is not. That is not. I guess he really was our inspector. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are millions of either. <laughs> like no, that is it. It is not. It is not. I, I, unless subtle means something different um, here. <laughs> Maybe they meant he, they don't actually come out with signs saying this is the moral and that. Yeah. The <laughs> so let me see what, what else have we got to talk about. We uh, what's the stuff going on in American schools today? I did a show about this uh, about a month ago or so. There are the, the highest number of attempted book cancellations, withdrawals from libraries. Um, withdrawals from classrooms in in recorded sort of history of you know pan america stuff that is just going on across the country it's overwhelmingly targeted at lgbtq books books with lgbtq characters and books with african-american characters and if they're both well then that's the number one target for being removed at the moment um we've got that st every single state in below the mason dixon putting in the most bizarre laws about you know don't say gay um one's just going through about how you're not allowed to mention your marital status um in front of children before the age of 18 just there's an awful lot of culture war amped up to fever pitch going on with american schools right now um give me your thoughts on that and do you see any of it in danger of coming here um, so my thoughts are, so I was in the Northern part of the United States, so not as crazy, um, as the South. However, the parents that I got, um, were just a little bit nicer about their racism. So like, mm. I just, you know, um, I feel like it's, it's, uh, uh, professionally inappropriate to talk about this issue. And it's like, these are year 12s and we're reading like letter from Birmingham jail to compare it with, uh, something else that was like really i'm like no this is this is pretty much what you would do at this level um so you had you have parents questioning your curriculum choices for being oh yeah and the thing is i didn't even choose that text it was my all-white department who had chosen it the year before mm. um and of course i was the only person that was being uh targeted for that um and then also kids would say things to me like you know i feel like this is politically biased like i'm not going to do this um, they had certainly learned that from their parents. Um, Letter from Birmingham jail type thing. Yeah. No, I, I had like, uh, what's wow. the, ain't I a woman? And then yeah. he, I feel like this is politically biased. I'm like, to say that black people should have rights is biased. <laughs> oh yeah, my like, God. Like, that, and that's the, the, we should show both sides of this debate. Yeah. I'm like, you, right. you think I should give something that says that black people shouldn't have rights. Is that, is that what we're, like, I didn't say that to the kid, but I like, and like, that was, it was that kind of stuff every day. And then like, you know, I'd send it to my, my department head then. And she's like, yeah, I mean, whatever. Like it kind of just was accepted. This is what it was. Um, so that's, you know, I, I really don't think that there's kind of coming back from that in America, to be honest. And mm -hmm. I think there is a sense of like, we do import a lot of like American culture wars here, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and so like there there is some danger but i i do i do feel like people here want to be better rather than like um we want to always i say here we want to always hold it over like at least we're better than america um yes like you know <laughs> it's a low <laughs> bar to be honest like we should want to be a lot better and it's but it's like we're 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 in danger of kind of pushing it like well we're, we're pushing the line of that um yeah i think i mean i think anyone listening there's probably only a 50 percent chance that they even know what either of us would mean if we talked about crt yeah um, as a controversy let alone as something else um so for anyone listening, CRT is critical race theory. It's a graduate level legal um, field of legal studies in the US. It is about essentially about how laws were constructed in ways which which create completely racialized outcomes, despite on the face of it not being racially biased. So rather than saying everyone's racist, which is what people tend to claim is that it's all about, oh, white people are racist, it's actually actually posits a form of sort of citizen innocence um, where it's, it's the legal system that, that kind of grinds on in this systemic way. But um, in America, what's happened is that people have decided that CRT means just about anything you want it to mean. Um, and, and it must be rooted out, root and branch. And that's where Jasmine ends up being told that ain't I a woman is somehow biased because it invites us to think about the history of race in the United States. I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't see people using the phrase CRT on my edu Twitter. Do Do you? No, I I I will say like I don't. I I genuinely don't think that CRT is a thing here because it's kind of like mm. why would it be? Um, but even if it was, I think that teachers here are more. I think they take more care with what they're being asked to be taught. Um, so yeah. like if teachers didn't feel comfortable, like they wouldn't do it. Like they they'll be like I'm like I'm not sure how I would approach this versus like there's just there's a sense of professionalism among teachers here that's not necessarily what i found um when i was in america so i think even if say i decided to put some crt in somewhere what i'm not going to um i think people were like how would you do this jasmine like they they would at least right. rather than setting their hair on fire and, and yeah <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense um yeah you you said yesterday um when the the state for anybody not terminally engaged in edgy Twitter, which I I think if you're tuned in right now, you are. Let's face it. <laughs> um, so the fight over the weekend was a, was quite a polite fight. It was not the biggest edgy spat that's ever happened, but it was um, Michael Merrick suggesting that there should be non-degree based routes into teaching, kind of specifically for primary, though he kind of spread it out to everyone, and then it turned into, do you need a specialist degree to to teach a subject in key stage three, four, and five. Um, and at that point, you said something interesting, which is that largely you come from a system where the workforce does not have specialist degrees. Um, tell us about that, please. Um, so most states, you could just, you get a degree in teaching, mm. um, and then you might have like a minor in your subject area, which is like maybe four modules. Um, so like imagine, say you're 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 going to be an English teacher, and the four courses you take are introduction to literature, American literature, British literature, and like a writing course. Mm -hmm. um, and then now you're qualified to teach anywhere from year six to A level, basically. Um, so and you do that same that same teaching course if you were going to teach math or yep. physics. Yep. So wow. for math, maybe it'd be you know calculus uh, through like differential equations, and like that's it. And like maybe a stats class, 
maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you, chemistry is the same thing. Like you don't even necessarily need a chemistry degree. You could just take those first, uh, you know, um, introduction to chemistry and then organic chemistry and then a math course and then you're done. Like you, there isn't, you don't need a specialist degree except maybe in Massachusetts, I think they do. But like for the most part, no, it's just a, a degree in teaching. So, yeah, so, so that's our equivalent of a B.Ed. Yeah. Um, and, but otherwise the alternative route for a subject specialist obviously is degree plus PGCE. Um, I, I know that I was doing, I dropped out of, but was doing a PhD at University of Pennsylvania. And um, the people who didn't go on to be in academia, they were recruited intensively by elite private schools who wanted yep. not just subject specialists, but, but you know, elite subject specialists, uh-huh. which makes a lot more sense when I'm hearing that people don't necessarily, well, don't have first degrees. And so you don't have subject specialists. What do you think the effect of that is? Because that's been um, the other big topic of conversation. Yeah, I mean, the effect of that is, I mean, it seems like teachers don't know how to do their job. Um, it sounds mm-hmm. bad, but it's just like, there are some teachers that work really, really hard to be good at their subject. And then other people, because they don't really know their subject, they turn it into like, you know, we need skills and community and like all these other things that school is. Um, and it's because they don't have an investment in their subject because the subject is kind of just there. Um, mm-hmm. And it's why also you get things like, say you're studying the kite runner, um, you know, you're uh, 12th grade, which is, I, kind of it's year 13 but not really um and why at the end of it you are asked to make a spotify playlist to just to study symbolism like that's what happens when you have a a workforce that doesn't value what they teach Mm. yeah whereas the the friend of mine who was recruited to a a girls private school on the west coast I, i he teaches he's a 12th grade specialist that's the other weird thing Anyone listening who doesn't know this, if when you teach in the States, normally <laughs> you are attached to one year group and that is all you teach. So you teach, you know, year year 12 from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. And yeah. obviously the size of the school might mean something different, but generally speaking. So he's a 12th grade specialist and, you know, he's doing graduate level essays with them and stuff. But that that's a huge structural elite jump they have into going to to institutions which, yeah, it's quite staggering, the advantage they have in that system. Yeah, I remember I asked, again, like my 12th graders, year 13s, I asked them to write like five (laughs) graphs and they were complaining that my work was too hard. Mm. And then they told my principal and he was like, well, I mean, he he sided with them. Um, But again, like this is, it's five paragraphs, which is like, I don't know, like page and a half of A4. For a summative assessment. But yeah, they complained and then my principal sided with them. Like that's, if you want to teach your subject because you love what you studied, don't teach in the schools that I was in. Like it's, right. it's not about that. Right. You can go to private elite schools where they'll, they'll let you teach that. So the, yeah, the, the, the one good thing we're always getting down on the English system is that at A level, you get to sort of play in the sandbox of subject specialism in a way that's truly gloriously fun right? Yeah, I mean, originality and flair, like Mm. (laughs) what other spec will have that on it? (laughs) (laughs) And then the the great thing about the the literature spec is that it specifically it it wants the teachers to have originality and flair, it's not prescriptive, it's like here, choose two books from this and then go away and have fun. Yeah, and Um, I'm like, that's great I'm like, yeah, I'm just, like I went to the William Morris Gallery yesterday and then it was 
they had some bits about like the pre uh raphaelite society i was uh, like take my year 13s here because we studied rossetti well they studied it and then i took it over but i'm like this would be fun like that's that's what you can do with a level here and that just doesn't happen in the same absolutely. way the um, first year i was teaching rossetti we went we were, took the kids into london for some other reason but we walked past um a blue plaque showing that dante Gabriel Rossetti had lived there. <laughs> These kids literally going, my boys, the PRB. <laughs> yes. Yes, your boys, the PRB. I love my job. <laughs> uh. <coughs> what else are we going to talk about? Edu Twitter. How are you finding Edu Twitter now that you've shifted? What's the difference between American Edu Twitter and British Edu Twitter? Because it seems like different universes. <laughs> Uh, I mean, so yesterday, uh, I made a tweet and I was like, well, American Edu Twitter is arguing about pencils again. If you're bored with the, do we need a degree discourse? Um, there's a, there's a, a teacher, a year six teacher who was like, Hey, if you return my pencil at the end of the day, I'll give you a sticker. And then people are calling her like racist and ableist and things because she wants to get her pencils back. And like, it's been going on for about a week. And I'm like, this is, this is insane. Um, it's, it's like the the discourse last summer where it was like the boy who puts his head down on a desk and then like Doug Lamov was like turning it into a whole spectacle and I'm like just ask him if he's okay and if not yeah. just put that up like yeah. that's that's a big divide too it's kind of just this is something that I was talking to Daniel about um, about a blog that I feel like I need to write with someone is just about the lens through which like you look at the lens through which I view, uh, through which we view education here is just in a different universe from America. So like things that seem like, it's like, why would, why are you doing that? Like when we look at America, but like that kind of, it's just, I don't even know how to put it. It's just the, the way we think about things here is so different from America. It's, it's as if we're not even teaching. Yeah. I think, I think about some of those, um, we had in a staff briefing once they played a TED talk by, you know, a, a teacher who was near retirement. I'm sure you've seen the one. Um, wonderful, wonderful woman, clearly absolutely venerated by her community. But the whole thing was, you know, about love, about yeah. loving your students and the, you know, just love, 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 love. And there's there's very little love in the um, English secretary system and I'm glad I don't love my students <laughs> because that's weird and inappropriate you know like, yeah, I, yeah I, I see them for what three hours a week that's not a solid basis for love you know yeah yeah I mean that's yeah it's just it's so I don't I don't even know if I can really put it into words how different it is but it's like I actually feel like a professional now and I know mm -hmm. that like British teachers are like they'll be like people are people get down on teachers or whatever, but I'm just like <laughs> like it could be so much worse. <laughs> and I realize that's not that's not like what we want, but it's just like I can actually do my job. Um, I can I can do my job. Like I don't know how I I don't know how I got to where I am now, considering what I just came from. But like it's I can actually put into practice all of the things that I was learning, uh -huh. uh, which it just feels nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we are professionals whose whose outcomes are supposed to be education and and results of some kind, changes in long term memory, and such, as opposed to, yeah, some kind of seize the day Robin Williams inspirational characters standing on desks and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. the American system really does kind of require that, though, because yeah. 
there is no like you know you have to get like a GCSE grade of four it's just you just have to pass and your passing is dependent on whatever assessment I make which is Mm -hmm. a Spotify playlist Mm. Um, oh and there's no moderation we've discussed this before it's absolutely staggering first time I had to like I went to like our kind of like you've so you've started teaching undergraduates mentoring session at UPenn and I was like so what's an A and everyone's like what are you talking about like whatever you want an A to be what, what does an A feel like to you like uh no I'm writing rubrics for all of this I'm just yeah you people are crazy no moderation nothing no attempt to establish that my A was the same as Matt's A like wow different universe yeah yeah, and I mean, like, I I know I get down on American education a lot. And, like, again, I I was raised in the American system, but, like, I feel like I got really lucky because I was in the, like, basically the top set equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, so the teacher's standards were a little bit higher. And then I did do um, the international baccalaureate for my, like, the last two years of high school. So I basically did an A-level. Um, uh, I, did, I did three A-levels and three AS-levels. Um, so yeah. like I, and that's like an internationally recognized thing. So I think that also made a difference. And then I went to the equivalent of a Russell Group University. So, like you know, well, and, and the, you the A do- from my yeah. school is not the same as the A from Mankato State. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I think actually there is some there's some real value to the idea of I was arguing this yesterday. I managed to argue it poorly and offended people, but there is there is some absolute value to saying having done this range of courses, having a transcript that shows that I completed these courses, invested my time, got this, is is a is a valuable thing. I you know, don't think we can, there's an aspect of that that really matters that is not the same as like my degree. I worked my arse off, but it came down to what I did in the exams. I, I went into the examination halls in Oxford, did my exams, that was my degree. Didn't matter what I'd done for the last three years. It was what I did on the day. Whereas something which shows what you did, there's there's some value to that. I don't know, making half-hearted attempts at high school transcripts being good things, but mm. yeah. yeah, no, I'm 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 very happy with the degree that I got. Like I started out in chemistry, and then I changed my mind, and then so like what my degree ended up being technically it's cultural studies and comparative literature, but then I have like a focus in uh, black feminist literature as well as like I also like, focused in like. English specifically. So it's mm-hmm. like I was able to do a lot more kind of different modules to fit within it um, because of that, you know, that, that extra time basically. And the, yeah. like there, there's no end exam. There's just an exam at the end of each course you take. Um, and I love it that you can audit classes, which yep. British was like, you can be officially enrolled sort of as a person participating in the class, but you don't have to do any of the work. I like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. You just go to learn. And I did one of those actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing it's just, yeah obviously intellectual curiosity is not the reason why everybody is doing a degree but if you are intellectually curious there's a lot of fun you can have in uh, in the american system um before i go because we've only got three minutes left which black feminist should we all be reading do you think um well bell hooks just passed so start with mm-hmm. her yeah absolutely so it's bell hooks everyone lowercase b lowercase h um and then afterwards um then you can <laughs> Kimberly Crenshaw go to that um and then I mean Toni Morrison isn't really a black feminist but like in like capital B capital F but then you can read some of her non-fiction writing is excellent too oh and I would shout out Audrey Lord. um yeah 
I don't, that's, her picture was in my face and I couldn't think of the name. So, um, I mean, her picture was in my mind and I couldn't think of her name. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I've really overemphasized Audrey Lord. I think with my, all of my gothic students now, just very automatically, it's like Pavlovian will go like, ah, oh, you cannot dismantle the master's house with the master's yeah. tools, Angela Carter. Like, yes, something exactly. Funny. Um, before, before, before we go, I literally have Audrey Lord in Marquis stage three curriculum, like three different times. Amazing. So the fact that I didn't bring up her name is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing I'll say before I, um, say goodbye to Jasmine and let her get back to her bad dreams is that like, shout out to what she's doing with kids. We were discussing this in DMS yesterday. Neither of us like that critical lens way of approaching text. So, you know, Jasmine said named author. And then what she just pointed out there is she's doing named critic approaches with Key Stage 3. Why not? Instead of saying a feminist would say, that's like, what, what would Audrey Lord say? Or what does Judith Butler say here about the construction of gender? And that is amazing. Just amazing. Uh, shout out to you. <laughs> All right. It's time to go have breakfast and uh, roll around enjoying the fact that we've got another week off work. Thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. Thank you to my guest, Jasmine Lane, the always fabulous Jasmine Lane, um, the equally fabulous Stuart McNichol, and the glorious George Napthin. I, I started too high with my um, admiring adjectives there and had nowhere to go but sideways. Damn it. Okay. All right. Thank you for calling in. And I will see you all not next week because it's Easter Monday and Teachers Talk Radio is having a well-deserved rest. But after that, when I will be discussing in my usual nerdy manner, something much more academic, which is the um, national canons, basically. What are the canons, the canonical texts of various countries? And how does that work with the emergence of nationalism, ethno-nationalism? and natural identity, national identity through culture. Fascinating stuff. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.